Bob Hope was one of the great comedians of the last century, and it, as he was getting along in the years, he, he commented um, that he'd been reading, he was astonished to discover that his heart beat over 103,000 times that day. His blood traveled 168 million miles. He breathed 23,400 times. He inhaled 438 cubic feet of air, ate three pounds of food, and drank 2.9 pounds of liquid. He perspired 1.43 pints, gave off 85.3 degrees of heat, generated 450 tons of energy. He spoke 4,800 words, he moved 750 major muscles, and he exercised 7 million brain cells. It's no wonder that he was tired all the time, he said. Augustine once said, people travel to wonder at the height of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, and the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. And Augustine, he was right on that. Most of us don't realize how intricate and wondrous our bodies really are. Uh, and we should. We should wonder at that. For example, uh, the comedian there, he listed some of the reasons why um, our bodies are truly wonderful. We have 20 blood vessels um, in every square inch of skin, 65 muscles in every square inch of skin, 78 nerves, 78 sensors for heat, and 13 for cold, and 160 for pressure. 650 sweat glands, 1,300 nerve endings, and about uh, 19 and a half million cells. And we've got all these different things going on in every square inch of our bodies. Our, our senses are picking up all these different things all the time. And because of that, I think David wrote, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well in verse 14. Now, I'm sure that David he didn't have the science that we do today to tell us just how uh, intricate our bodies are. Maybe it was something simple. He looked down at his hand or, or he saw um, something with his eye and he wondered how God could have created something this marvelous and, and other things that, that I can sense these remarkable things around me uh, as well. In Psalms 139.15, he said, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You know, David, he was so impressed with the wonder of God's gift of life that he spoke of it as being woven together. And here he was using you know, imagery of a craftsman who skillfully weaves a, a beautiful uh, and, and colorful tapestry together. And what David is basically saying is this, I didn't just happen. I'm not an accident. I have value. I have worth. So why do you think David comes to this conclusion? Why did he think he had value to God? God put effort into us. What else? <coughs> Created in his image. That's what we talked about this morning. Going down a few verses, um, or excuse me, up a few verses. In verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. 
Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Now, remember, David, he arrived at his conclusion that he was a valuable individual because he recognized that he was created by God. It was God who gave his life value. It was God who gave his life worth. And without God, his life had no value. It was all based on this premise that he was created. Otherwise, he didn't have the same kind of value that he wanted for his life. I don't have my wallet on me, but if I did pull out a $20 bill, if I ripped up that $20 bill, how many people would want it? Nobody. May, you don't want my $20 bill if I rip it up? I want my $20. I'm going to go back there and tape it afterwards. Yeah. What if I crumble it up? Well, are you still going to want my $20 bill? Now you want it. You don't want it ripped, but crumbled's fine. Okay. I throw it on the ground. Do you still want my $20 bill? Of course you do. Why do you want that $20 bill? Why is it worth something? What? Okay. If I rip it up, what if it is it worth something then? Well, as long as I have 51% of it, I can go into a gas station and get whatever I can for $20. Why does that bill still have value? Even when it's tattered, even when it's on the ground, even when it's dirty, even when someone's graffitied over it, you know, people do that, they write things on their bills. Why does that money still have value? Why can I go to a store and still buy something with it? Is it because paper is inherently valuable? No. We say it has value. I can go, if I go into my office and I print off a replica $20 bill and I hand that to you, are you going to take it? No, you're not. Because I don't have the authority to give paper value. I, I, that's just not within my power. Our $20 bills, they have value because the government of the United States, which created it, says it's worth $20. And that's the only reason that kind of bill has value. And it will maintain that value even when it's tattered and torn and, and crumbled and, and everything else because the creator of it says it has value. And here's where the application sets in. If God didn't create us, if he didn't create me, and if I don't believe that God created me, then I have a problem. What's my problem going to be? If I don't have a creator, what does that mean for my value? It's zero. If someone doesn't say I have value, then there's nothing inherently valuable about me. If God didn't create us, or if we don't believe he did, we have no reason to believe that we have any greater value than anything else we see around us, any other living creature, whether it's the smallest insect or the most disgusting rat in the sewer, we can't claim that we have any value greater than theirs. In America, our society has progressively removed God from its laws and morals. If he was ever there, he's certainly there less now, and God and his standards have continuously been challenged by um, new standards. And as a result, it's now against the law to kill a baby eagle, but we can kill baby humans because the definition of creation, the definition of value has shifted because if God hasn't created us, we have no rational foundation to believe there's any difference between 
us and anything else. There's no logic um, to anything different. And when that type of thinking takes hold, a society begins to be governed by a concept we know well, utilitarianism, right? When it's only what makes practical sense. That's what has value. Different times in history, different things have had value because it made sense. Gold made sense to have value. Not because we can do all that much with gold, but because it was a rare and limited resource. Utilitarianism is the belief that people are as valuable as they are useful. If people cease to be useful, then they cease to be valuable. And we can go through all sorts of thought experiments uh, and we do. We teach it in high school, right? In, in uh, philosophy classes, where we, we try to uh, determine if a train's going down a track and you can only save one person or multiple people, who are you going to save? And they say, well, the utilitarian um, perspective is you, you try to protect the greatest number of lives or whoever's more valuable to society or anything like this. But it's all based not on created value or inherent value. It's based on how useful you are to someone else. Now, God condemns that kind of thinking because to God, all mankind has value. Why? He created us because all mankind has been made in his image. Genesis 1.27 tells us God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created him. And in Genesis 2, 7, God declares that the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And for that reason, God values all people, especially people that the world would overlook. In Exodus 22, God made uh, his attitude abundantly clear when he says, do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless in Exodus 22, 22 through 24. James 1, 27, uh, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is what? To look after orphans and widows in their distress. You see, to God, all life has value. And that's especially true of you and I who belong to Jesus Christ. Our lives are a gift from God, and only we individually have the specific abilities he's given us. Only we have a specific set of skills. Only we have that specific potential that God has built into us. And without God in the picture, we are reduced to just being selfish animals who are principally driven by our desire to procreate, to, to keep the line going. But with God, we're so much more than that. As Alan Webster put it, evolution sees man as one step above apes. Scripture sees him as one step beneath angels. That's what David is saying here in Psalm 139. He realizes what a marvelous creation we are and why we're that marvelous, why there is something unique about who we are. He is designed by God, fearfully and wonderfully made, he says. And this points to one of the major characteristics of our faith. We believe we are created by God. And because we've been created by God, we realize that we've been created for something more than just selfishness, more than just seeking out our own pleasure, more than just continuing on some sort of worldly goal. You and I were made to do great things. Or as Ephesians 2.10 tells us, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus 
to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, knowing all that, there are still some who say, you know what, yeah, I, I understand this idea that I am created. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My body is this biological wonder. God created me. I know that. But you know, I still don't feel valuable. There are Christians who will look you in the eye and say, I still don't feel valuable. Why? Why wouldn't they feel valuable? What are some things that make us doubt our value? The way other people look at us, the way we look at the mirror and the mirror and what we see, what else? Lack of confidence. We compare ourselves to other people. And if we're going to try that, there's always going to be someone down the road who's got a little bit more or a little bit better at something than we are. What else? Think about Moses. Jesus, or excuse me, God comes to him um, in the burning bush, asks him to do something. What does Moses say? No, I'm not. I'm not worthy. I'm not eloquent. Not all these different things. People aren't going to listen to me. He gives five different excuses there. And we can think of all sorts of excuses that make us doubt our value. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too poor. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. I, I'm not, we can fill in the blank. I don't feel that I have the abilities or the skills that are going to make that great of a difference. Why? I mean, this is Ephesians 2 is telling us we have work that God planned in advance. In eternity, he had a goal for our existence. That's big. That's not ju just menial labor. Why would I ever think that I am worthy of that type of work? And I understand that kind of thinking. I mean, some of us are old and weak and intellectually challenged, but that thinking fails to take into account that our worth, our value, is not based on our strengths. What did we say we have value for? Why do we have value? Because God created us. It's not because I woke up in the morning and I could bench press 10 more pounds than the guy next to me. It's not because I'm smarter than the guy next to me. It's not because I'm better looking than the guy next to me. It's because my God created me in his image. Therefore, I do have value. Our value is not on the basis of our strengths. Oprah Winfrey recently endorsed a book called The Secret, uh, which attempts to share secrets of life. And its author um, said they know what you need to do to make your life meaningful. And it was all around positive thinking. And you just have to wake up and say you can conquer the world or, or something along those lines. I can because I think I can. Or I can't have something because I believe I can get it. It is a little more um, along that line. But we realize in the real world, real world, it doesn't always work that way. I, I think I can do something, and that doesn't always mean I do it very well, at least. And David was a man, he had positive thinking too. He was a man of confidence, he was a man of courage, but his confidence and his courage was not based in his thinking, or in his strengths, or in his personal abilities, or his potential. What was it based on? He was created by God. It was based on God's power and God's strength. Our value depends upon our creator. Our worth is increased in direct relation to how we allow God to use us. God says that when he wants something done, it's going to be done not by my might, not by my power, 
but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty in Zechariah 4, 6. And throughout scripture, when God wanted something done, 1 Corinthians 1 says he chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He, he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. You know, David, he was a man who was willing to go out and face giants for God, to, to go out and lead his men against the enemies of Israel, but his confidence was based entirely not on his personal strength or his personal strategy or anything else. It was based on the reality that he was created in the image of God and that he was special to him. Look again in verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Yet he knew God, the Almighty Creator, had laid his hand upon him. And that was the basis of his feeling of value and purpose. Uh, have you ever gotten a, a gift as a, a child, for, maybe for Christmas? You um, opened up the box and there's this great toy inside, and it has all kinds of buttons and switches, and you start pressing them, and none of them work, because somebody, we're not going to name any names, but they forgot to put the batteries in, and the toy isn't going to have any power to it. Uh, in fact, you don't have any batteries in the house, and you just sit there with this marvelous, wonderful toy with all kinds of potential, but you can't do anything with it because it doesn't have any power to turn it on. It was so simple to put in the batteries, but it was overlooked, even though it was so obvious. And the power for us as Christians, the thing that gives us real worth and real value is attained just by the simple act of putting God's power into our lives. We put that power inside of us by spending time in prayer and spending time here in Bible study with other Christians on our own uh, by deliberately deciding to put God at the center of our lives and believing that when God is ready, he will use us to make a difference. You see, God isn't finished with us yet. He has created us to do something special. He's designed us with a unique purpose in mind, but it's only when we take hold of his power and wait patiently for his guidance that we realize our full potential. Now, we've got to remember that some of the greatest heroes of scripture were flawed. Until God finished his work in their lives, they were struggling. Jacob was a liar. Miriam was a, a bigot and a gossip. Moses stuttered. King David had an affair, one author wrote. The uh, prophet Amos was an unskilled laborer. Elijah suffered from depression. Naomi was a widow. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Timothy had ulcers. Thomas was a doubter. Peter was afraid of death. And Lazarus, well, he was dead. If God could do great things with men and women like these, he can do great things with us too, especially since when we become a Christian, we became God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus again to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a great gift in the life that we live, and he intends to give us even greater gifts in the potential that our life can have. And reading through Psalm 139, I think this is what David was seeing. This was the clear and obvious point. His life had value because he was made by God. But this is when I ran into a little bit of a wall. 
Where do you go from here? What else is in Psalm 139? And I read the passage over and over again. I saw something that I, I hadn't looked at quite the same way before. And I saw the Psalm uh, of David's in a whole new light. And what I saw in Psalm 139 was this wasn't just an ordinary song. This was a literal love song for God. This was David declaring his undying love for his God. You know, when you're in love, what happens? What do you do when you're in love with something or someone? Committed to them? You forget to go home? <laughs> yeah. What else happens? Hmm? You value them? Can't stop thinking about them, right? Can't stop talking about them. You want to be with them all the time. David, because he was created by God, he fell in love with God. And he couldn't stop talking about him. That's how David comes across in the psalm. It's a lover's poem, an expression of his adoration of God. He, he focuses the bulk of, of the song on proclaiming how much God had done for him. And then David goes to great lengths to express that he loves what God loves and hates what he hates. And twice he asks God to examine his heart and make sure that it is clean and acceptable. Nothing in, uh, to David's life matters to him nearly as much as God. He is hopelessly in love with God. And that's why the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. And this is where we want to get in our relationship with our Creator. And it's why it's so important that we understand that the Father and the Son and the Spirit all had a role in our creation. We want to foster a love for the One, the God who created us. And we want to get to the point where we all seem to be able to talk about, or all we're able to talk about is God. We want to get to the point where we're so taken by God that people just know how much we love Him. We want to get to the point where in everything we do, we ask whether it pleases Him, which is exactly what David did in this psalm. Now, a man or a woman in love is a, a driven individual. They do anything to please the one they love, and they act like this because they sense that the one they love loves them. And it's when we truly realize how much God cares for us that our lives take on this, this new meaning or this new purpose. Ben Hooper, he was uh, twice the governor, elected twice in Tennessee as governor, tells the story about his childhood. He said, my mother wasn't married when I was born, and uh, his, his classmates in, in school called him names that weren't very nice because of that. He used to go off by himself at recess and during lunchtime um, because of all their taunts, and uh, it hurt. And what was worse was going downtown on Saturday afternoon and feeling like every eye was on his back burning a hole there, and they were all wondering you know, who my real father was. So when I was about 12, a new preacher came to our church, now, I could go in late and, and slip out early, but one day the preacher, he, he uh, spoke so quickly and so fast, I got caught and had to walk out with the whole crowd, and I could feel every eye in the church on me. And just about the time I got to the door, I looked up, and the preacher, he was looking right at me. Who are you, son? Whose boy are you? I felt the same old weight come upon me, he wrote, and it was like a, a big black cloud. Even the preacher was putting me down, I thought. As the preacher looked down at me, studying my face, he began a big smile of recognition. Wait a minute, he said. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You are a son of God. And with that, he slapped me across the back and said, boy, 
you've got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. And that, Ben Hooper said, was the most single most important sentence anyone ever said to me. That's what our creation means. We have purpose. We have value. We have worth. And we have a Savior who has been alongside us since the beginning to ensure that we can claim our inheritance. So if you're ready to be called a child of God, we're here tonight to tell you it's possible through Christ. Accept Jesus as Lord. Turn from your past and allow yourself to be immersed for the cleansing of your sins. And no matter who you are or what you've done, how crinkled up you've gotten, you'll be able to find a place in God's house.